Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Welcome to another edition of Alternative News brought to you by Romina Betsin from the Campaign for International Cooperation and Disarmament produced at the community radio station 3CR. Today we will present part three of a recorded program from a special evening organized by Pax Christi on 19th of May about one of the defining issues of our time, terrorism and war on terror and what they mean for Australia. In today's program, you will hear from Professor Joseph Camilleri, one of Australia's leading scholars and communicators on international relations, founding director of the Centre for Dialogue at La Trobe University. And from Robert Starry, principal of the firm Robert Starry Lawyers. And also from Tasneem Chopra, curator, cross-cultural consultant, author and prominent activist has a passion for addressing social justice issues, particularly as these issues impact upon the disadvantaged and minorities. And what I wanted to say is that there are deep questions that we have yet to come to grips with, over and above questions of foreign policy and what Australia does in support, for example, of the United States, whether it be in the Middle East, Iraq, Afghanistan or anywhere else. And in fact, we've had most leaders, including uh, George Bush Jr. and uh, current president and Australian prime ministers, saying we don't have any great conflict with Islam. It's only these few who pervert Islam that we are opposed to. But that creates a problem. Because if it's only this handful of Muslims or a handful of people who are prepared to act in the way they do uh, and to do so in the name of Islam, why does it require this terrible global response at such a high level of intensity? Mm. So it's very difficult to try and square the circle of how it is that a relatively small group of people, if that's all there it is, is virtually bringing their security apparatus to its knees. Mm. How is it? that at the most, (coughs) 50,000, and perhaps less, uh, 50,000 people spread in so many different places uh, with no significant military capability, uh, except uh, most recently under ISIS. How is it uh, that it requires this colossal global response uh, with a very substantial upgrading of the security apparatus of the world's major military power and all of its allies? Mm. So that requires explanation, and I think we need to drive it home. What exactly is it that we are fighting? Is it just a handful of terrorists? Mm. Uh, Look, think of the term which has been used so much, de-radicalisation. It's a very awkward and in some ways counterproductive term. At best, what the powers that be, and it's widely used, not just in Australia, UK and elsewhere, what is meant at face value is that certain groups and individuals who may be tempted to pursue violent means in uh, part of their political or religious ideology or ideas should somehow be persuaded, 
to abandon that commitment to violence. Well, that's one way you can interpret it. The other way you can interpret it, and that many young Muslims interpret, I'm not allowed to pursue a radical position. I'm not allowed to pursue a position which is contrary to government policy. I'm not allowed to publicly speak strongly against, for instance, uh, military intervention here or there, whatever it may be. And I think non-Muslims in Australia, in Victoria, in Melbourne, who themselves quite often call into question government's policies, both domestic and foreign, should make it known to Muslims that they're perfectly entitled to take up any position they wish to in the public sphere, no matter how contrary it is to government policy, so long, of course, as they don't do it by violent means, and certainly not violent means which place innocent civilians in danger. But, but that's not done enough. So I've been talking to quite a few people who will never use violence, Muslims, who say to me, it is utterly pointless for me to take up any position in Australia. There is no way that my voice can be heard. Mm. And I think if there were examples of Muslims working with non-Muslims, questioning policies on grounds of ethical uh, assessments of what those policies are likely to lead to, uh, we may well have an ongoing conversation which could prove quite influential. In 2006, I think you might remember that Peter Costello said that the war on terror will go for 50 years. That was his prediction, famous quotation, uh, three years after mission accomplished in Iraq. One thing that consecutive governments have said is that our intervention in Iraq and Afghanistan, Syria, does not place us at a greater risk of any act of terrorism. In the seven prosecutions that we've been involved in, what is at the root uh, of all of those um, concerns or the disquiet that each of those accused persons has is our involvement in Iraq. They see that involvement firstly um, as intervention in a war on a false pretext uh, weapons of mass destruction as opposed to regime change. And then they see that uh, the various estimates of the killing civilians, whether that be 100,000 or 600,000, as some of the figures might suggest, it's the call to arms to avenge those deaths that causes those young men, and they're all young men, to engage in the sort of conduct that they have. And so when um, our government of every complexion says that our intervention in Iraq doesn't put us at risk, it's simply not true. Whilst we engage in that conflict militarily, then we, in my view, and my experience, um, suggest that we will always be at risk of some sort of revenge attack here. The other thing to say about every one of the cases that we've involved in, as I said, there is repeated overstatement, exaggeration and embellishment of every case. Well, we just have to look at Iraq and, um, and why that intervention took place, whether it was for oil or some other purpose. They said it was regime change ultimately, but there's other economic imperatives, including oil, particularly the US's intervention throughout the world. Um, regime changes all over the place. I don't know how many there have been since Second World War, but there have been presumably tens and tens. One of the other things that um, has been starkly um, brought into focus is the unresolved issue of Palestine and Israel. 
um, because what my clients often say to me is that the West remains pretty much passive where there are war crimes that are committed in the Gaza, um, particularly where coordinates have been provided to the Israeli Defence Forces to where schools and hospitals are located. And then under the pretext of those institutions being used as some sort of shields for Hamas or whoever it is that might be firing rockets, um, uh, they, um, they, they are bemused by the fact that we say nothing of the role of Israel in its destruction within Gaza um, and its continued creep into the West Bank, the uh, unlawful settlements that take place, um, despite the US saying that um, they oppose the expansion of settlements, nothing seems to happen. And I think in that sense they've got a legitimate grievance. I think the, the terrorism legislation, all 50 separate pieces of legislation, and the hundreds of means that we've spent on setting up the apparatus that Joe talks about. And we've seen industrial law and criminal law, how the terrorism laws have been adapted in other aspects of our lives. In, um, you all know that in the Australian Building and Construction Commission now, um, the, uh, the legislation on which that is based is a direct lift from the ASIO um, legislation. That is, the right to interrogate people in secret with the threat of imprisonment if there's a failure to answer questions. A person might not be engaged in any wrongdoing whatsoever, but can face a term of six months imprisonment. Now, we were critical of that in the building and construction industry. It's been further developed in the Fair Work Commission, where people who are involved in industrial disputation are now are the subject of uh, in-camera or secret hearings where they have no right to um, decline to answer questions, no right against self-incrimination, and again with the risk of imprisonment if they, fail, if they fail to answer. We've seen it further developed in the Australian Consumer and Competition Commission hearings, similar sorts of inquiries. So there's been this creep of what was counter-terrorism legislation, particularly into the industrial context, we know that um, we know that, for instance, uh, in all uh, political disputation now, um, particularly through the student movement, there's been again adaptation of the terrorism law. There's the exclusion zones that now uh, go around all World Economic Forum meetings. You have no right of entry into those areas unless you have a lawful purpose. There are politicians who advocate for a refusal of bail for anyone who's charged with an offence arising out of those sort of political disputes. Uh, and so we, we see incrementally the adaptation of these laws really um, ultimately to suppress dissent with the capacity to suppress the citizenry um, in circumstances of political and industrial disputation. Um, and it'll be interesting to see how um, the uh, government deals with the dissent that's going to... Um, uh, come about as a result of the uh, Trans-Pacific Partnership and the trade deals that um, the, uh, that uh, the US will primarily and US multinationals will primarily benefit from. We've certainly uh, nailed our colours to the mast with US bases in Darwin um, and with the Trans-Pacific Partnership. Uh, and I'll, I'll, from a personal level, I'll be interested to see how our laws on counter-terrorism uh, used or adapted uh, to deal with that sort of dissent.
Australians in the last six months from migrant backgrounds have increasingly experienced acts of violence. One might even say terror. They have been spat on, they have been insulted, they have had bricks thrown through mosques, schools, homes. Women have had their scarves pulled, attacked. A woman had her arm broken when she was thrown to the ground at a shopping centre. Um, a girl on my local train line was actually pushed off a moving train before her head was smashed against the wall, um, before it alighted at the local train station. Another friend in Sydney has been, thre- been threatened with rape and beheading from you know, some very, very extreme right-wing groups here in the, in the community. These are day-to-day realities that the Muslim community is contending with on top of the fact that we know as Muslims and as Australians we don't identify with the you know the broader objectives of these individual groups and the, you know like like ISIS and terrorist regimes there is no simpatico there is nothing that we have in common with these people and yet we are brushed with the same stroke when in fact I know that if I went if I turned up at ISIS headquarters thing like this I wouldn't make it through the front door so there is certainly a double standard that's being perpetrated against Muslims who are being told to fit in or get out, blend in, but you know com- com- we don't we don't we like your Islam, but just don't not in our face kind of thing, and always redefining what it means to be Australian. When no one's actually having a conversation, they're always telling us how we should be, not how we feel. So yeah, that's I guess a subjective point of view that talks to what the realities mean at the ground. And it, it, yes, it's frustrating, but situations like this event, obviously where conversation and engagement are off on, on offer, it certainly was reassuring. Obsessions with burqas, um, halal certification and a link supposedly to terror. And when these just become daily headlines in papers and they become the kind of mantra that people then associate with Muslims and Islam as if that is all that there is to define this entity. It's always about difference. It's always about their rules and their conditions. When a lot of these conversations and discussions and topics are actually manufactured in order to make the distinction between us and them, it doesn't help. And it certainly does play into a narrative of difference, which plays into the broader agenda of uh, terror management plan as well. So thank you all very much indeed. Next week we will present the program live. 3CR's annual Radiothon is coming from 1 to 14th of June. The theme this year is Activate the Airwaves. You can donate by contacting 3CR on 9419 Thank you for listening to Alternative News brought to you from the community radio station 3CR. I'm Romina Betsin. Looking forward to your company again next week. Hope you enjoyed that podcast and don't forget it's Radiothon time at 3CR again. It's not too late to join the resistance. Want to support 3CR's diverse and independent voices? Donate to 3CR's annual Radiothon. This year we need to raise $220,000 and any amount you can afford will make that difference. We still need your support and it's not too late to donate. Donate now by calling 94198377 or donate online at tricia.org.au or post us a check or money order to Post Office Box 1277 Collingwood 3066. That's right, rise up and join the resistance. We still need your support and it's not too late to donate.
All donations over $2 are tax deductible. And thank you for supporting the resistance at 3CR Community Radio.